going on, people? People forget that podcast. As always, with your host, myself, Ryan, and uh, and always joining me, Kevin. What's up, Kevin? What's going on? We got a lot of action. A lot of action. Now we got NBA firing off. NFL. NFL uh, playoffs. Chiefs just taking it home. Tom Brady. This guy. I mean, you look at the stat line. It's, you know, three picks. It's not great. But it's, honestly, I'm, I'm sh- not shocked. But it's just impressive that he's doing this at 43 years old. And I mean, like last year, you know, he had no weapons to throw to, so he didn't look as good. And, you know, you surround him with all the talent that he has now. Godwin, Evans, Brown, even Gronk has, you know, bounced back a little bit. I mean, Brown didn't play this game, but still going up against Rodgers. And, you know, I mean, they had the lead the entire game. I don't even think the, the Packers led at all. But, I mean, the Packers are a damn good team. Rodgers has been – Rodgers might win MVP. Well, he's going to win MVP for sure. He's going to win MVP. Um, I mean, that it, it's just really impressive. I mean, that the Bucks defense is also great. Like, if you compare – like, if you would throw Jameis on this team, I would say that they make the playoffs, but then they would lose, um, you know, first matchup. I think just, like – Brady's leadership, um, just and just like his historic, mm, you know, accolades and whatnot, just like motivates everybody. Just because he's a champion, you know, he's a leader. He's been here before. You know, he gives guidance. That's like the difference between him and Jameis. Um, and you know, I mean, he's just he's, he's a winner. And I think that's like, you know, Tom Brady and and LeBron uh, were somewhat in the same conversation in which they kept getting to the championship, but then they they have like a bunch of losses and, you know, people would hold that against them. But as, you know, Brady gets older and he's still winning, you know, then they start to, you know, recognize i mean they recognize greatness but you know they start to really respect his um you know talent just because he's been doing it for so long and i think like if lebron could do that that's how he can propel himself unanimously unanimously over jordan but i mean he has to really you know he has to win like two more championships and at least minimum. And of course, like everyone's just going to hold the whole MJ went six and zero in the finals and blah, blah, blah. But, but that becomes completely irrelevant. If, if a LeBron gets six, like, then it doesn't matter to, I mean, to more that LeBron gets the worse that argument looks like if LeBron has uh, finishes with six titles, which I'm not saying he will, and he's lost four of them. Uh, well, no, he's lost six now, which damn, that's a lot. But like, if he finishes six and six, then the argument's going to be so ridiculous. Like, it's always been ridiculous because, like I said a million times, you're just basically saying that it would be better for a player's legacy to lose in the conference finals than lose in the finals, which is obviously as just as dumb as it gets. So, I mean, if LeBron 
ties the amount of finals. The argument that, well, Jordan never lost is just going to very quickly turn into, yeah, but wait a second, LeBron literally got to NBA finals double the amount of times. So it, it, it that argument already sucks, and it's going to suck even more if LeBron wins one or two more. LeBron, I mean, he's <laughs> sneaking into the MVP conversation. I think he's probably the favorite right now. I think Bill and Ryan were talking about this like a week or so ago. And what's weird is I hadn't, before they had the podcast, when they talked about it, I didn't, it didn't occur to me. But then I was thinking like, yeah, Luke is off to, you know, by his standards, not, you know, uh, uh, maybe what people expected, like just, oh, he's going to go absolutely insane, which he's obviously so amazing. And he'll probably finish with insane numbers this season. It's not to say that he's playing bad, but, you know, the Mavericks are not looking like they're going to be a top seed in the West. So then you go to East, you know, Giannis, are they going to give it to him three times in a row? Probably not if it's close with LeBron. And then you start to think, and it's like, probably going to be LeBron. It might, it might, this might be the, the the fifth one that he gets where it's sort of like, okay, maybe he didn't blow everyone away, but if he just does normal LeBron stuff, the Lakers have the best record in the NBA or at least the best record in the West. Like, I mean, come on. The only, only other one that I'm thinking of is what's uh what's Kawhi's number on numbers on the season. I think like you just he, muted your mic. I feel like he's a, he's a dark horse and I thought he wasn't going to play enough games, but at least from what I've seen, it's not like he's a, he's not like taking every game off. No, his I mean, numbers are insane. And, and, you know, his, his okay, scoring insane is down. overstating it, but yeah, his scoring is down, but he's also playing a career low 32 minutes. Well, um, I'm seeing 34.4 on, on basketball reference. I don't know what, uh, if you're looking at different numbers, what this season it's 32, 34.4. It says on, uh, unless did yours, how many games played are you seeing? Where are you looking? I'm on basketball reference. I'm on basketball reference too. Kawhi this season per game 2020 Wait, 2021 Kawhi Leonard oh why oh I'm talking, oh, about, talking LeBron. about LeBron okay well I was saying yeah Le- uh, Kawhi could be a dark horse but anyway go ahead LeBron yeah I think LeBron's a favorite right now yeah um well Paul George you know we talk about him being a dark horse MVP and he's putting up he's putting up the same numbers as Kawhi so 25 for both of them five and a half assists for both of them. And he has more rebounds than Kawhi and he's more efficient from the field and three, but for some reason, basketball reference has, has Kawhi at three and Paul George at seven, but Paul George all around better than Kawhi statistically this season. And I think he's, and he's played one more game too. So this doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, I guess, well, the only thing is the turnovers. Paul George has double the amount of turnovers as Kawhi, two to four, but still uh, the efficiency off the charts. But right now, I mean, because, you know, Jokic, he's putting up the most insane stat line, 26. Charging. And and, and the Nuggets are, they mostly, well, I mean, it's not like they've completely uh, climbed out of, of their early season hole because I mean, you'd still expect them probably to be better than nine and seven at this point in the season, but it's, it's a hell of a lot better than what they started. They've been heating up as of late. Yeah. I mean, what's the MVP get, tracker that you like to check? What's that saying? That's what it's saying. It's saying that's what I was looking at. It's, oh. you know, Joker and bead Kwai, AD LeBron. For some reason, AD is over LeBron. <laughs> that's not going to happen, but <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. And then it's KD, Paul George, Sabonis, Luka, Giannis. 
I, I, I guess mean, maybe team record doesn't get factored into it as much as we thought, or maybe not this early in the season. It's really just it's really all over the place right now. I don't like some these like these numbers don't add up. That's why like I don't understand why Kawhi is better is a bunch of spots higher than Paul George and why AD is above LeBron. And yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, I mean, there's no because LeBron like Lakers have the best record of the league. LeBron's putting up a good stat line, and people are loving like old LeBron. So that there's that narrative, you know, it, it's definitely possible. Um, I mean, KD also he, he has the I think he has the strongest narrative just because coming back from Achilles, and you know, it's it's really incredible. Every team that he is on, he's with all these superstars, Hall of Famers, Steph Curry, Westbrook. Now he has got Harden um, again, uh, Kyrie, and you know he's the clear cut best player on the team. Well, I, I disagree with that for the Warriors years, but I agree with the Thunder and the Nets for sure. I, I hundred percent like Katie just looked even with the Warriors, he was just the guy. No, disagree. I mean, I we've done it before, but the, on the one the Warriors, Steph was the most important player, and. He's with guy. Other teams. I remember. I saw some some uh, tweet thread that was basically going through. Was it either the 2017 finals or the 2018 finals? And it was just like all the times that uh, KD or Steph were double teamed, and Steph was double teamed like a million times, and KD dealt, was double teamed like once or twice. So I mean, what does that tell you? I think I think. And there's a bunch of numbers where it was like with uh, KD, like Clay and Draymond on the court, the, the Warriors are not as good in terms of like offensive efficiency and like net rating and point differential, all that stuff. Then like when uh, Steph was on the court with like one of the two or two of the three, like all the on off numbers were like, Steph is the guy who makes him go. So I think there's like a really convoluted argument you can make for it, where it's like, well, Katie was the best player, but Steph was most important to the team. But I don't know. That's like really splitting hairs. But I think for that I mean, team, Steph was. Katie, Katie was putting up. Uh, he was averaging 30 points with a, a 50, 40, 90 uh, shooting line right. in the playoffs. Like, look, uh, what I'll go back to is in, in the 2017 finals, you, you go watch Katie's highlights from the 2017 finals and like 75% of his baskets are just wide open dunks and wide open layups and wide open jump shots. And it's like, cause he can't be double team. Cause if you double team him, you know, there's so much shooting around him, number one. And also that, you know, they're not double teaming him because if you're double teaming, uh, uh, KD, then it's like a wide open three for Steph. So, I mean, I, I just remember watching the 2017 finals and just being like, this is a complete joke. It was just, he, they would just go on like, uh, they would be dribbling down the court. And then, you know, maybe it's because the Cavs, their defense wasn't good enough or whatever, but it was literally just like a layup, like dunk after dunk after wide open layup after, or just go back and watch KD. I'm sure there's YouTube compilations, KD complete highlights, 2017 finals. And you're just going to see a lot of wide open threes, wide open dunks wide open layups and like 10 foot jumpers where he's being single covered by probably like a mon jumper. And, he, and it doesn't mean he's not incredible. I'm like I said, we're splitting hairs. I just think Steph was more important to that team uh, than KD. And I think if, if you were to tell me in um, 2017 or 2018, you know, one of them is going to be injured for the finals, which, which of them hurts the Warriors chances more if Steph misses the entire series or if KD misses the entire series, I would have said, uh, Steph missing it would hurt them more. So it's splitting. Well, we saw, we literally just saw that KD got hurt and they lost to the Raptors. Like, well, they were literally about to win game six if Clay didn't blow out his knee. 
So, and they, Ooh, they, that's that great. Why can't he propel the Warriors to win two games? If KD's that great, why didn't he win the finals with Russell Westbrook and Serge Ibaka and James Harden? You know? I, mean, was, I mean, we could play well, this game all day. Game away. Well, he didn't, game away. He, he didn't win it. So, I mean, still, I mean, KD is hands, not even close, definitely no. better than Steph. Nope. Nope. I'll, 100%. Nope. Nope. Every, I nope. think there's nope. literally, you just, nope. only thing you nope. could bring up is this double teams, which I don't even think is true. It is true. There's no way. It is true. There's Go no back way and watch the games. He never got double teams on the Warriors, dude. Nobody ever double teamed. No way. <laughs> bro, no, we don't double team Kevin Durant. Bro, they, that's the whole point. They didn't. That's what made it so ridiculous. They never double teamed him. Literally go watch any, pick any game from any uh, Warriors NBA finals. Watch the highlights of KD scoring. He's never getting double teamed. Uh, and they're, they're double teaming Steph because they would do that thing where it's like that was their whole the, the Warriors whole offense was, you know, Steph gets uh, trapped at the top of the three point line, for like 80 feet away from the basket because he can just bomb threes. And then Steph would pass the ball to Draymond and then they would have this like three on two or four on two, basically, where it's like Draymond or no four on three. Sorry, where it's like Draymond, Clay, KD and like whoever, Kevon Looney first only three defenders because two defenders just like high trap Steph at the top of the key. This is why I don't don't see how, you know, double teaming a point guard, which you would do um, in that, in that, you know, for a defensive scheme makes Steph Curry better than Kevin Durant. The logic just doesn't align. Yeah, it does. If, if one player, I mean, it's not, it's not controversial. If there's one player on a team that's getting double teamed all the time and the other player on the team is never getting double teamed, that shows you that the other team is way more worried about the player who's getting double teamed. There's a difference difference between trapping and double teaming. No, there's really not. I mean, if you're constantly, if you're constantly getting trapped at, at above the three point line by two people, you're literally by definition, getting double teamed by two guys who are guarding you and forcing you to pass the ball. That was the whole point. You're saying, we're going to put two guys in your face so Steph can't shoot like a pull-up 30-footer. He has to pass the ball. And then he would pass the ball, and then Draymond would roll to the basket, and he would throw an alley-oop to someone, or he'd do an amazing Draymond pass, or then every once in a blue moon, he would score himself. That was like their offense for for uh, like half the, for the majority of their run. And then KD would literally just get like layups, dunks, Three-pointers. Now, of course, you're going to say, well, look at this highlight when he dribbled and then hit a three-pointer while someone was guarding him. Yeah, there was plenty of highlights where he's being guarded, of course. But there's no highlights where it's like, oh, Kevin Durant get, is getting double-teamed all the time. The, the people, Steph, there's a the whole thing. That's why KD left, because Warriors fans always like Steph more. And there are people in the Warriors fan base who are like, Steph is better than this guy. No, that's literally well. They're just delusional, just because they love Steph. I, that's the Warriors. Like, want, look at the other twenty nine teams of the entire league. Who would they say? That's what matters. Obviously, well, they they Warriors are speaking. The, they're speaking by the what they're double teaming. They're speaking by how they they guard the players. Look, I'm just saying. Go back and watch the 2017 Finals highlights. It's just KD played amazing, but he wasn't doing anything incredible. Like he's wide open and getting single covered the majority of the time. Because there's literally eight, like he he said that he had a quote like, oh, I was watching the 2016 finals and I was like, oh, if I play with these guys, I'm going to get, like this is literally a quote, if I play with these guys, I'm going to get wide open layups and wide open dunks. I'm literally going to Google that quote right now. Kevin Durant. Yeah, it's so good. Wide, Obviously. Wide open dunks and, lay, and layups. I don't remember Steph getting a lot of wide open shots and wide open dunks and layups. I'm sure he got a fair amount. And, and there's so many... Uh, 
there's so many uh, like highlights you could see of like literally like four guys on a fast break running to guard Steph. So then there's just an open lane in the paint. Yeah, because that's just the, the, you know, if you have two of the greatest shooters of all time. But while this, KD you know, was three, dribbling, though, like while KD three. was dribbling, like KD has a ball and all the defense are like, we're whatever, we just have to go run wherever Steph is. And then KD would just dribble that down the lane and just dunk it. I still don't see how this makes Steph better than uh, KD. I mean, KD has just proven over and over again that he's just incredible. And... <sighs> I hundred percent. It's not even a contest. Who do I I'd rather have? It's just, and it's also just simply that Katie's seven feet tall. You know, I want a a, a bigger forward to lead my team. Um, it's just how the NBA works. If you have a elite small forward slash power forward who can stretch the floor, who's hyper efficient. You know, that's just you Steph's know Steph's more efficient, but anyway. I don't think this. I, mean, I don't know. How is he more efficient? True shooting. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't know that for sure. Let me just check their numbers. I bet you. I bet you he is. Steph for his career sixty two point three percent, and Katie's probably like fifty eight. If I had to guess. True shooting. Sixty one. Oh no! Actually, where is it? Come on. Sixty one. Yeah. There you go. What is it? What's Steph? <laughs> Steph's literally uh, ten, like point one percent better. Okay. No, I mean he's uh, like ten percent better. Sixty-one versus sixty-two, which is I mean one percent better actually. Obviously, they're two of the most efficient players of all time, but still, I think just the impact that KD has um, is unmatched. I mean, just like just the eye test. When I watched the Warriors, it was just KD was the best player. And it was, you know, just it's really impressive. And, you know, again, with this this Nets team, not even the fact that he's coming off an Achilles, the fact that he's putting up these numbers. I don't even think he's had a game under 25 points. And he's just lining it up, putting up career numbers. And he's not even, you know, 26, 27. He's 32, you know. He's uh, not like a, a spring chicken. Uh, You're acting like the Nets are in first place in the West. I mean, the East, though. Like, they're 10 and 8. I don't know. I understand yeah, they had injuries and stuff. Kyrie, but... Kyrie missed five or seven games. KD missed four games, and they just got Harden. Um, and now they're getting acclimated. They haven't even played together. Uh, I mean, that's like holding the record against them is just bizarre because that just that's just not a great uh argument just because totally different team they never even played together before and sure it's like oh uh kd and harden play together so they have chemistry it's like no this that james harden is not the same james harden as before james harden is has you know a 20 year old james harden is much different than this you know 31 year old james harden james harden is an mvp this is MVP James Harden, not uh, sixth man of the year. So, you know, it's two, three, you know, p- huge pieces that um, are still trying to, like, figure out their groove. So, I mean, the Heat start off, what, nine and eight their first year? Yeah. First 20 games. And 
and that was with all of them healthy. Like they all play together from start to finish. Now, like Kyrie and Katie missed like a chunk of games. Now we just get hard. And so I'm not really too focused on the, the record right now. It's, you know, a lot of um, variables, but regardless, KD is balling and he, you know, he's just, he's just the glue guy. Um, you know, when he's out there, he's a leader and he's just the guy you go to. And Kyrie, Kyrie last night, I mean, he's, I, I find it so bizarre. People are actually saying trade Kyrie. The dumbest take, the worst take. Kyrie, what do you, who, first of all, who are you going to get for Kyrie? And second of all, Kyrie is an incredible talent. Um, of course, like he has, you know, off the court, he's, you know, sometimes all over the place. But when he's on the court, not even like locked in, like when he's just on the court, he's just incredible. I mean, Kyrie is putting up incredible numbers. What do you think his stat line is? 28, 7, and 5. Yeah, pretty much. It's like 29, 7, and 5. Um, extremely efficient numbers. Yesterday he had 15 points in the fourth quarter, and he was just super clutch. I mean, they have two of the most clutch players um, in the league in the, when it comes to the fourth quarter. All of them are excellent three-point shooters, including Harden. Harden really... Harden's one of the greatest. I think people would literally argue that Harden is the greatest offensive player of all time. And this dude is not shooting enough. Wait, you're saying like, people argue against that or for that? No, they're for that. Yeah. No, they argue for that he's the greatest offensive player of all time. Um, I mean, I wouldn't agree with that, but I guess I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Argument, I guess, were you saying? I, would, yeah, I could agree with that. Uh, I think Barkley said that, or someone said that. No, I think Daryl Morey said it. Barkley would. Barkley just makes fun of him for dribbling all the time. No, I think he said he was like the one of the best player, one of the best. There was a quote like I think it was last year during the bubble that he was. I think maybe it was a generation, maybe not all time, but generation best offense. Uh, offensive player of this generation. Um, but regardless, I mean, he's just, he's obviously he's, he's playing the facilitator role and he's getting, you know, he's leading the league in assists naturally as the best scorer in the league, uh, which is bizarre, but he took 14 shots the other night without KD. And yesterday he took like seven, like he, <laughs> he needs to shoot more. And it's not, and not even the fact that, you know, Kyrie or Katie have to, has to take a step back. It's just like he needs to look for a shot more because he is way too talented to take under 15 shot attempts, even like 16. Like they all need to get around that 16 to 18 mark, all of them, including James Harden. James Harden is way too good. And once that starts happening, that's when the offense is really going to start rolling. And Joe Harris, I mean, this guy is fucking incredible. It's funny. Ky, uh, Ky, Kyle Korver made the all-star game, averaging 12 points, shooting 50% from three. And Joe Harris is averaging like 16, shooting 53% right now. I mean, I don't think those numbers might not, aren't going to be sustainable. But I mean, if he's averaging 14 shooting, I think he could actually, he could actually sustain shooting 50% from three. 
um, just because he's going to get like just better looks this year. Now that you know, you know, you have Kyrie, KD, and Harden on the floor, and you know he's he's that he's the key piece. Like I think he's he's better than if you compare like the top four players. Like the Nets have the best top four players in the league. I don't think you could argue that. Yeah, I mean, probably. They don't have anyone who plays defense, but I would agree that they have the four best players if you rank the one, two, three, four. Yeah, their defense has been – their defense has been bad. I feel the like they're not even bad. trying. Like, I watched um, I watched a lot of one in the Cavs games, and I watched the end of the Heat game yesterday. And it's like the Heat scored like 125 points. They didn't even have Jimmy Butler or, or Tyler Hero. I don't. I feel like there. It's weird because it's like, like you said with Harden, where he's not shooting that much and he's just trying to fit in and and pass and get everyone involved. But I don't really feel like it's manifesting in like, oh, all the, all these guys have like a lighter load on offense, so they're really going to turn it up on defense. Like that's not what they're doing. So, and and maybe it just works that they're just going to outscore literally everyone and score, but. The, with the way that like the Cavs are scoring like 150 now, granted that is double overtime, so that's not really fair to just say the, the total. I hated scored. that. That was so triggering. Yeah, that is that is. Triggering. They gave up a thousand points to the Cavs, but and even like, at the end of a regular regulation, what was it like 120, like one one nineteen? I think it was, I think it was one fifteen. But I mean, it was five points differential. It doesn't really matter. Um, but in this, at the same time, it's like they play at a pace where they're putting up so much shots. So there's a lot more volume. So the opposition matches that. And I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like KD, Kyrie and Harden are bad at defense. Like they're all competent, but you know, the other guys, even Joe Harris is competent, but like the other guys are, you know, Bruce Brown is good on defense, but he's, you know, smaller guy. He's like six, three. You know, he's not going to stop, you know, the LeBrons, Paul George, Kawhis, Giannis's. Who is, though? Who is on this team? Who's going to do I it? mean, they did a good job against Giannis, um, against the Bucks. I mean, they just formed a wall um, against them. And, you know, I don't really think they they need to. They just need to out. It, the whole point of basketball is just to score more points to the other team. And you could do that without having a, you know, stout defense like you look at the the Cavs in 2017 uh I think the I mean the Nets have a better offense potentially than that team for sure I mean obviously um I don't even know if that's true though maybe it is like just just going by the stats like what the the Nets are third in offensive efficiency this year 114.2 that what we're talking about is the 2017 Cavs no you're actually right uh, the Cavs were one one eleven, so it's like if you look every year the offense is just kept ready. Yeah, I was, I was in a the Hollinger stats like team stats tab, and they just let you like sort by year. If you just notice, like it literally the the top rated offense just goes up every single season. <laughs> offense literally just gets better and better and better and better and better. It's kind of insane. What's actually confusing to me is um. Last year, all we heard was that the Mavs were like the best offense in NBA history. Remember that? But mm-hmm. when I'm looking at it, the, in, in 2019, the Warriors had 113.9. And last year, the Mavs had 113.7. So why were people saying that the Mavs were the best? I don't know what the hell. Maybe. This is offensive efficiency. 
Maybe, yeah. It could that could be it? Could be it. That could have been it. That might have been a snipe. Maybe they, their offensive efficiency wasn't as good in the bubble, which brought their season total down. But pre-bubble, that's definitely what it is. Good call. Good call. Yeah, that's probably what. Yeah, because there's that big, you know, gap where it's three months, and then we were just looking at, um, you know, the season as it was, Which and it, then probably just dipped enough. Because I mean, would you say it's a point two differential? Yeah, yeah, it's literally point two difference. And just to give you an idea, the 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 Nets, the Bucks, and the Clippers would all be ahead of that number right now. <laughs> which is like so they're technically the clippers the bucks and the nets all have the best offensive of all time depending on you know what what uh what games being played holy cow that's i don't funny. even think the Nets offense has been that good honestly like not like clicking they, on all cylinders yet no it's really just been they you know it, it works but it's not nearly what it could be like they're still trying to figure out um you know what to do they've kind of just been you know, oh, now it's your turn. Now it's my turn, and you know we'll see what happens. And it's like, oh, Joe, Joe's open. Pass it to him, <laughs> and then he'll, he'll hit the three. But um, you know, I just like just because Harden hasn't like the first two games, Katie and Harden were lighting up, and then now Kyrie is now integrated, and he heard all this like bullshit that he should be traded, <laughs> and he just been lighting it up. He's just been you know, unconscious and, you know, it, they've, you know, lost two to the Cavs, but, um, that was, that was, uh, they should have won the second one. You know, they should have won the second one. I mean, they should have won the first one. They should have won both, but you know, it's just, it is what it is. And, you know, going forward, I think, you know, the Nets are going to be fine. I still have them as, uh, my, my, my team to just win out. Marcillo was yeah. being a bit of a boomer against the Nets uh, on his oh, yeah. on his pod. Kyrie. <laughs> well, yeah, it's because he hates Kyrie and he hates Harden. But he was like, uh, oh, I hate Harden too now. Yeah, yeah, no, he, oh, yeah, no, he hates his game, hundred percent. He hates, he hates his, his game, game and he, I'm surprised though because he's like such an analytics guy and he loves Maury. I don't, I don't even, I don't really think that's uh, he. He's hate. He said on his pod multiple times that he hated the way that the Rockets played. Like he hated it and he would he actively rooted against them. I think he likes Maury, but I don't think they're like best buds or anything. And I get he's in analytics. Like he definitely pays. He he's like more, uh, he pays attention to the analytics, but he's not super uh, like stats guy. But I I I think like he was saying like I think after they lost to uh, no or did they just like barely beat the Magic? He and he had some like open to his podcast where he's like telling people to, like pump the brakes and he's like and he's like using it as evidence or something. I'm like I don't know what you're expecting. Like I'm expecting them to make the finals. Like I don't think that they are going to lose to any of these East teams, but he was saying like, Oh, you know, like just, just like I said, like, Hey, we can't, people are, he's like, people are penciling them in to like, just make the finals. Or I'm like, yeah, but like, why not? (laughs) What we're trusting the bucks to beat them. What have the bucks done? Going, going back to Harden. Um, I feel like this needs to be said. People are, you know, they hate the way that Harden, you know, drives like his craftiness to draw fouls and they're like, Oh, it's so boring. And I think it's, I think it's revolutionary in a way where it's a skill to be able to draw fouls like that. And I see it as, you know, I don't know if I guess people are just behind the the news, but like the analytics show that, 
you know, comparing, let's like look at, let's look at baseball, right? So walks are great. You know, you want a guy who walks a lot, right? Yeah. I I would say free throws are the equivalent of walks. Like you want a player who draws a lot of free throws and Harden consistently is the league leader by a, a significant margin in uh, free throw attempts. Like that's just, you know, it's the volume and it's the consistency. Like when you're, when you need a bucket, like I don't give a shit. When you need points, I don't give a shit how you get it as long as those points go on the board and it counts. Like if I don't care if like, you know, he does a little head bob or whatnot, you know, he drags like the defender's arm. So it looks like a foul, you know, this looks like there's more contact than the, there really is. Like if you're putting those numbers on the board, they count and that, you know, that attributes to the win and Harden does exactly that. And I think it's so beneficial to the team. I, I, I want a guy like Harden on my team and he's an excellent passer and I think he's just a winner. And he, I mean, he, like, and granted, like he really is trying to shake the notion that he cannot, he's like Mr. ISO, like Mr. Ball hog, but he's not even a ball hog. That's the thing. It's like, so it doesn't make any sense that he, you know, the ball hog conversation doesn't work because he's leads the league in assists like every year, <laughs> but he also leads in scoring too. Um, you know, obviously he's been heavy isolation, but that's cause just, that's just how the offense worked. That's how it was designed. It was designed for him around him. And, you know, he's never had, you know, people were like, Oh, you know, he's always had like a star with him. Like Dwight's back was broken and he was also super immature when he was on the Rockets. Dwight is never going to get credits the wrong word, but he's never the the people who write these narratives and things like that, like he, it will never be, it's not going to be in the history books of the NBA, like Dwight's back Dwight injury. Ball. Yeah. Like that's never going to be included. It, it never, nobody is going to give it credit. I remember that's so significant. It's so like bullshit. Back. Like, yeah, he got literally lower back surgery when he's a player who is not entirely dependent, but at least heavily dependent on his athleticism, his quick twitch muscles his quick like burst jumping his his vertical his leaping ability his you know being able to quickly cut and turn and torque and it's like yeah the guy literally had his lower back drilled into and then after that never never looked as athletic as he was before and then people are like well you know it's that dwight and it's i just love it's like oh the narrative dwight you know went to the lakers it didn't work because dwight's an idiot like okay so are we gonna we're gonna go with dwight wasn't an idiot when he was on the magic really is that what so dwight just randomly decided to be a bozo once he signed with the lakers here like the truth is that if dwight didn't have lower back surgery it would have worked a lot better on the lakers so whatever that's just my whole rant i'm not I know nobody wants to hear Dwight Howard get defended because he is his personality is definitely insufferable. Um, he, he's one of the people who thinks they're hilarious, but they're aggressively not hilarious. So and that Gronk, Marshawn Lynch. Tier. Yes, exactly, Gronk, Marshawn Lynch tier, um, where they just think. Well, it's funny though is that with at least with Gronk and Marshawn Lynch, there is a lot of people online who give them uh, validation to where that you could you could forgive them for being like well i must be hilarious like everyone is saying i'm hilarious you know what i'm saying whereas dwight like nobody says he's hilarious in fact like if you just go online everyone is like dwight like we hate you which i'm like is you know i'm not on that team but what i'm saying is like he's not even getting that positive feedback but he still thinks he's hilarious but if you listen to any like i listened to the interview he did with like part of my take 
And a lot of people were saying after the fact, like, oh, you know, it's sort of this when I used to listen to part of my take. I don't really listen to it anymore, but uh, I mean, I definitely Shaw is a big guy. He's great. Um, he's a legend. But uh, you know, just in case he's listening, think I'm throwing shots, which I'm not. Um, but I, I listened to the interview. I'm like, this is why this guy sucks. I could see why he's like insufferable to be around. He just like acts like he's like 14 years old, and but he just never stops talking, and he's always like trying to do some like comedy routine, but which may, would probably get annoying even if he was the funniest person on earth. But he's not funny. So my whole roundabout point is that. Yeah, the, the narrative of Dwight's career is going to be, uh, Dwight, you know, if only he could have had his head screwed on right. And if only he could have had the Mamba mentality, which, you know, if he did have <laughs> a better mentality, would he have been better? Probably. But the reason it's kind of like when people say Tiger Woods fell off because, you know, this scandal with cheating on his wife and all that stuff. Whereas it was like, no, Tiger Woods uh, fell off because his body literally crumbled into, you know, dust. And same thing with Dwight. It's like, yeah, Dwight was always a bozo. And while he was winning defensive player of the year after defensive player of the year after defensive player of the year. And then he, I just never forget like hallucinating. And this is the end of my little spiel here on Dwight. I'll never forget when he debuted for the Lakers. Cause I think he missed the start of the season recovering from back surgery. Um, and then when he came and like the first few games, he would do this thing, and I might have mentioned it on the podcast before. He would get the ball underneath the basket, and he would have to like f- bend over, sort of, to like gather enough energy and like power to like dunk the ball. Whereas in his um, where like uh, someone like Anthony Davis, let's say, gets a rebound, and he just, you know, you know, like athletic big men, they could just get the rebound and immediately just go up and dunk it. They don't have to like sink their whole body down to like get enough boost to like jump back up. You know what I'm saying? And, and mm-hmm. Dwight became the guy who would get the rebound under the basket and need to like gather himself, like bend over and then fling himself up like turbo pogo stick. Whereas when he was younger, he, there was, he would literally just get the ball and without bending, he would just shoot up like in the air, like a rocket. So, and I was like, am I hallucinating? And then all like the talking heads and the media people would be like, you know, Dwight is just not, he doesn't get Kobe. He doesn't get the Lakers. And I'm like, I think this guy looks literally like he's a grandpa version of what we saw like two years ago. Maybe that has a bigger thing to do with it. Whatever. Rant over. How were, how do we even, oh, we started talking about Dwight because. Is that James Harden? I was comparing yeah, his yeah, teammates. Yeah. Like he, but basically, he hasn't been loaded with teammates, James Harden. I'll agree with that. And it's not even like, yeah, he hasn't, like, people are like, oh, Chris Paul is so good. But, like, Chris Paul, I mean, yeah, he's good, but it wasn't a good fit. Like, people were questioning how they would fit together. It was was a weird fit. It was was a good fit, but it was also a weird fit. I think that's possible. Like, it could be, in 2018, they were probably the second best team in the league. So, it's hard to say they weren't a good fit, but it was extremely weird. Uh, but it did work. So if something works, I feel like it's a good fit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I know what you're saying, but it's like ideal. splitting hairs. It wasn't ideal. Yeah, it's not an optimal. If you're going to design who Chris Paul's ideal teammate would be, and if you're going to design who James Harden's ideal teammate would be, it would not be each other at all. Uh, yeah. But it did work. But I know what you're saying. And then people also will say, and he also got Russ. But then the same people will be the ones who hate on Russ. But now they're using him playing with Russ as like a reason why you know, Harden's had like loaded teammates or something. It's like, they're talking out of both sides of the mouth here. I mean, Russ, I think they, that was like, that worked as well as possible. Yeah. Could I agree be. before he liked And it. I think it, just yeah. didn't, it didn't really line up well though. Cause like when Russ was like hyper efficient and on his hot streak, like Harden was like off, but then like when Russ was off, like Harden was like scoring like 50, 10 and 10. Um, but then when it worked, when they were both on, they were like, 
they looked awesome. But then like Russ got hurt in the playoffs, he had COVID and it's just like, and then people that was like, the, and since like, you know, the, the post bubble was so far away, people don't like see how good they were, you know, together. They just saw like what was in the bubble and then, you know, like, Oh, that, that never worked. But it was like, it was better than, you know, what people thought. But yeah, I mean, Harden never really had enough pieces and, you know, now he's just, you know, he's got the accolades and now he's just like ready to win. But I want to touch on what's in, like, who do you think, uh, who do you think is the defensive player of the year? Like, this is such a weird, like, there's no. Probably AD like, by default because the Lakers are the number one defense. But it's like, I feel like there's no really like stout defenders. Like people are like, oh, you got to have a great defense, but like. It's not even like like the defensive player of the year is so competitive where it's like, oh my god, look at all these defenders. Like you need one of these guys. Like it's just like Anthony Davis and Rudy Gobert by default, <laughs> and then it's like Giannis and it's like Embiid, and then you have Simmons in there too. Um, I just find it funny. It's just like, and and it's so hard to like. Uh, analyze defense like you have to look at the eye test but it's always like the big man just because they're they have the most impact on that that end but yeah because it's like um what's funny is i was listening to um the anchor. yeah exactly and I, I was listening to um uh thinking basketball it's like a basketball podcast and also like a youtube yeah. channel i think i like met uh sent it to you before but uh he put up a, a podcast episode like last week or whatever recently and is basically going through like what makes a great defense and it was like using all these metrics to talk about like whatever the best defenses of all time and he was basically he took out all the teams that had a dominant big man like you're talking about so like if they had Hakeem Olajuwon or they had Ben Wallace or they had things like that he took them out and he was basically going the exercise was is it possible to have a great defense without having a great defensive player something like Mm -hmm. that and what he found was there was like a few examples of teams that had like no one standout amazing defensive player, but did have a great defense. I think it was like the two factors were like force a lot of turnovers and like maybe one other one. But that was like, if you don't have like a Rudy Gobert, if you don't have an Anthony Davis, if you don't have a Joel Embiid, a big man, absolute elite anchor of your defense, your only shot at having a really good defense is basically having a bunch of like switchy wing guys, which like how many teams have like, five or six guys who are like really good at switching across, you know, it's, it's rare. And what scored going hand in hand was that was like to force a lot of turnovers. So, I mean, if you look at, um, if you look at the best defenses, like so far this season, Lakers, Anthony Davis, uh, number two is the Grizzlies. I have no idea how the Grizzlies are number two, because that would be a classic example of who the hell is a big man protecting the rim for them. What the hell is that about? And then, but then you go through number three, guess what? It's the Sixers. Number four, guess what? It's a jazz, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, obviously there's um, there's some other teams in the top 10 that, you know, maybe not uh, have the, – the Bucks are down at 10. That's kind of interesting. But I, then again, t- like other teams have to be – to your point, there's like, yeah, probably three to five elite defensive players, and then everyone else is just like really good to whatever. It's like a range, really good to terrible, somewhere in that range. Yeah, because – I mean, this is um, very specific, but like the Nets last year, they were ninth. They had the ninth defensive efficiency, but they had no real defensive players where, where you're like, "Oh, he's really good at defense." It was just like a bunch of a bunch of you know um, capable guys who are fine. You know, you know, Jared Allen's like he's he's you know 
above average at defense, but he's so skinny like, and he gets eaten up by like the big guys like Giannis and, and Embiid. So like, I can't really say like he's a defensive player of the year. Like last year, he was a defensive player of the year candidate where he would, he was like the true anchor of the defense, which is why they're so, you know, they're better than what people expected. Like, that's why I think it's just like the team defense. Like if you communicate well, and I mean, obviously you have to have some athleticism and that's what like the net, the current nets lack, like Kyrie, I think he's, you know, they're all high IQ players, but they're not as athletically, athletically gifted. Like Harden's like big, um, but he's not like super, he's very quick hands as well, but he's not quick with his feet. I think he's and, bulky. Like he's big and he must be super strong because like you said, mm-hmm. his athleticism has um, fallen Long. back as you would expect when he ages, but then you'll watch him. And yes, like a lot of points that he scores is from like whatever tricky, Oh, I got fouled, things like that. But a lot of times he does end up like getting where he needs to go. And if yeah. a guy is not hyper athletic and he's constantly, constantly, constantly getting where he needs to go, he must be insanely strong. Because mm-hmm. the only other way to get where you need to go is, okay, you could handle counts too, right? Like yeah, if you just kind of send a guy in the wrong direction, that, and that's how you get by him. So he has a great handle and he's also strong because, yeah, if 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 even if you have a great handle, you're not going to shake a guy every single possession. Sometimes you literally just need to like basically like, but, like barge a guy out of your way, kind of. Like you just keep heading to your spot that you're going to go to. And if the guy tries to push you off of it, like, no, you're going to bounce off of me. So, um, but yeah, but then on defense, that's why it comes into where Harden is like a good post defender because, yeah, what is post defense except just letting a guy slam into you and holding your yeah. ground? Like, I mean, that's literally the whole thing. You literally, hands yeah, hands up. You literally just get banged into five times. And can you hold <laughs> your ground or will you get pushed back? Um, it's kind yeah. of hilarious. And, um, Harding can do that, but he doesn't necessarily have the side to side athleticism. And let's be honest, he doesn't have the desire most of the time to maximize his, his defensive potential. But even if he did, he was never going to be like an elite defender because he just doesn't have that. The elite defenders are like just the guys. It's really just a uh, lateral Athletic. movement. It's athleticism yeah. and lateral movement. Like that's literally, it's just like defensive slots. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. IQ, effort, athleticism, and Factored into that athleticism is, you know, sure, vertical leaping if you're going to protect the rim, but highly like change of direction, lateral movement. And that's it. So you can have, let's see, effort, athleticism, IQ. If you have, can you have, I don't think you could have one and make yourself into a great defender. Like if you only had one of the three, like I don't think Mm. you can make yourself a great defender with just effort. I don't think you, because then you just end up being like, whatever, Kyle Korver or something. I don't. But I don't know if you can even do it because Kyle Corver gives effort on defense, right? From what you watch, but he's just not athletic no. enough. And I don't even think you can do it with because let's use Kyle Corver an example. I mean, let's just be honest. Let's use uh, white shooter type guys: J.J. Redick, Kyle Corver, Joe High, Joe Harris, Duncan Robinson. They have uh, what what you would feel in terms of how they play offense and the fact that they're normally most of the time in the right position at the right time. They don't strike you as like, okay, this guy doesn't have basketball IQ. Like he doesn't know where he needs to be. Some guys you watch and they just don't know what, like Michael Porter Jr. When we we, we had a couple of plays like last year in the bubble where we were laughing. Remember that play when he was in the lane and yeah. the ball was being swung? I'll never forget that for as long as I live. Ball is being swung around the perimeter and he's literally like lunging out like he's going to steal it. Weirdest thing of all time. But th- some guys where you're just like, this guy doesn't even know what planet he's on. Um, but I don't think you can even become a great defender necessarily with IQ and effort. Because it's not enough. But can you be? Yeah. I don't. Can you become a great defender 
just off athleticism? I don't think so either. Because if you have no. all the athleticism, but none of the IQ, you're never going to be in the right spot. You could probably be a good defender just off athleticism, but that you have to have at least an average IQ. I just kind of think it's fun to talk through how each of like the factors, how you can put the sliders on each of the factor and does it end up with a, a great defender? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because if you have a guy who's uh, obviously golden trio is athletic IQ effort, boom, that's going to be great. Can you do uh, effort? And what what would you rather have? Would you rather have the athleticism maxed out and the IQ maxed out or the athleticism maxed out and the effort maxed out? And it's kind of impossible. To, but, and then just assume the other one's average. So, I don't know. yeah. Athleticism and IQ. Yeah, yeah, I guess because you wouldn't have, if you have those maxed out, you could get away with like less effort. Whether, yeah. whether if you have athleticism and effort, but if your IQ is just average, you're going to be putting in a lot of effort, but a lot of times you might not be in the right place at the right time. So yeah, you're probably right. Probably if you could choose to max yeah. out, it's IQ and, and athleticism for sure. I mean, it depends on like the effort level too. Like I'm not talking like, you know, you know, 50% effort versus like a hundred percent. I'm yeah. talking like you know, 85% effort versus a hundred percent. But, you know, I think with like, you know, a good example is, you know, Andrew Wiggins, like he has all the tools to be, you know, an excellent defender, just the athleticism, and it's pretty much literally just like if you're athletic and you're you know have a good size, good frame, like why are you bad at defense? Yeah, it's really just effort and IQ. That's why. That's and why like, I I think of and maybe we've talked about it before, but I think of like players like someone like and I know there's another example I can't exactly think of it right now, but someone like Demar Derozan, right? He's universally considered and you know according to all the metrics and all this stuff to be a bad defensive player. But you look at that and you say, bro, you're hyper athletic. So like, what is the problem here? And the problem, and I haven't watched him closely enough through his career to say for sure, but I can tell you for a hundred percent fact, he either doesn't put in the effort or doesn't just have defensive IQ. It's either one or the other or both, right? Because if he had an IQ and he was putting in the effort, he he would be amazing on defense. So if if a guy's, it really is a tragedy to see a guy who's super athletic and just sucks on defense. Because you're like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, honestly, what is your problem? <laughs> Some guys just don't like playing defense, you know, they're just not going to put in the effort. So, you know, whatever. But like you said, there are those players. DeMar DeRozan was the first one to spring to mind, but I know there's one that I'm thinking of where it's like, and sometimes you kind of just accept it, right? Like if you don't think about it enough, you're like, oh yeah, DeMar DeRozan, like he's just not that good at defense. And that's sort of just like a fact of reality. But then you think about it, you're like, why not, dude? <laughs> like, what you're doing like 367, 20 through the like dunks from the free throw line, but you can't like rotate on the weak side in time. Like, come on, man, give me, a yes, you can. You just don't do and, it. And like, let's be honest, like how hard is it to it's just. It's not rocket science. It's not. <laughs> it's not, science, bro. Right? It's really not. You're you know, fine. people will say like, you know, rookies, they have a hard time. And look, yeah, people, if anyone were listening to this, they'll be like, oh, you don't understand. Look, I don't understand. I can't tell you what a, because you get all like the, the film nerds. They're like, oh, can you tell me what like a drag disruptor screen does when the da da da? It's like, okay. I don't know what all the terms are, but they're, those are all people that just don't play basketball though. Yeah. That probably have never played basketball or they just have a weird way of looking at it where they just think, whatever, I'm a genius because I know like the terms and I watch film a lot, but yeah. there's every basketball game follows like the same f- five patterns, especially nowadays. It's like how many different ways can a high pick and roll go? Do you know what I'm saying? KD and, yeah. and uh, Deandre, they run a high pick and roll. Here's what's going to happen. Either KD is going to pull up from three straight away, or he's going to dribble to the, uh, the basket, or he's going to pull up from mid range, or he's going to throw a lob to DeAndre, or he's going to kick it out to somebody. That pattern 
it's like the same pattern. Like it's the same. If you watch a basketball game, the half court possessions follow like five patterns, you know, depending, especially if the other team doesn't have like five great offensive players, like the nets, where, where it's a team, like if it's a one man team where they have only one player who like dominates the ball, you literally generally know what's going to happen on every possession. So how are you not, how dumb are, do you have to be to not like pick up on the patterns after a while? You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. KD and DeAndre Jordan are running a high pick and roll. I am guarding uh, so and so. I'm going guarding Joe Harris, right? He's in the far corner. So the play is on one side of the court. I'm guarding Joe Harris. He's in the far corner. Guess what? I have to shade a little bit over towards the lane, right? Because I got to be, I got to be able to help. You know, maybe I'm going to slide over a little bit if KD looks to throw the lob. So he sees DeAndre, but he sees me there. But I can't just go hang out in the paint because then KD's going to skip it to Joe Harris. It's literally be like it's just basic fundamentals like where is the ball generally speaking kind of be like halfway between the ball and your man that's it and if your man is an amazing shooter maybe shade a little more towards your man than the ball right because guess what sometimes you're just gonna have to give stuff up if if you're guarding Seth Curry you're not gonna be able to like play super hard help defense and yes that might lead to someone getting a decent look at the basket but you don't want to just crack like crack a uh, crash down on like a pick and roll super hard and now it's getting kicked out to stephanie's wide open but yeah dude like a lot of the stuff that i watch where it's like yes are there sometimes where it's like a, a player runs you know a team runs some tricky play and they set a bunch of screens and they move the ball super fast and like the rotations just get screwed up sure does that happen a, a decent amount i'm sure it does but most of the times it's just like dude like this is not that complicated and like, I'm, i imagine it drives coaches crazy I, I, so if we were to take someone with NBA athleticism, who's, you know, just an athlete, um, but he's never played basketball before. And we told him how to play defense. Basically, I think if we told him two things, if you're, when you're playing defense, you just look at the, the guy's waist when he has the ball. Not the ball. You don't look at the ball. You look at the guy's waist. That was always a good one. I can't. I'm, I can't lie and say that I implemented that, but I should have. I think I might I have, did. but it definitely works a lot. It, it makes so much sense because you know you watch the ball and you just like you know you get thrown off a little bit. But if you just look at the waist, like like someone could be, you know, Kyrie could be just dribbling all over. But I mean, Kyrie's not a good example just because he has an incredible handle. But like someone with a good handle is just like, you know, dribbling just straight up, like not moving anywhere. Like it's funny. If you just look at the waist, you're like, you could dribble all you want. Like you're not going anywhere. And, I'm looking at your waist. You're not and, doing anything. And like to that point, what is a crossover? A crossover is literally somebody moving the ball way out to one side and then quickly pulling it over to the other side. But their waist is not moving as far as the ball is, you know, like the whole reason a crossover works is because it's so dramatic. They fling mm-hmm. like the really good crossovers. They're bringing the ball way out and then ripping it like over. D will had one of the best cross. I know you hate him, but he had one of the best no, crossovers of all time. It just looks yeah. so cool. I don't know what, what it was, but it looked awesome. But yeah, it was like a high dribble. It was like a high dribble and then boom, right into the low dribble. And it was just so tight. It was, uh, what a, what a great crossover. But 
like when they're doing that, your 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 waist is gonna your waist needs to stay somewhat towards the middle because you're going back to the other side. You know what I'm saying? Like your waist can't move all the way to the right with the ball when you're starting your crossover because then it's going to take you a long time to move your body all the way to the left and it defeats the purpose. So yeah, it is. Uh, it's something probably I wish I did more. Not not to say I was a bad defender, but if I really had just drilled into my head that whenever I'm playing defense, if I'm guarding the ball, just look at their waist. I'm sure I did it at certain times, but it's like one of those things where, you know, just like even in life where you try to get a habit going and you're like, oh, this is like an awesome idea, but then you sort of fall off and you don't implement it as much. But yeah, it's like if you just move with the guy's waist, you're, you're going to be in the right position. <laughs> it's just, it really is that simple. It's crazy. And then if you're in the post, all you do is just, you just keep your feet on the ground. Don't go for the pump fakes. You just keep your hands up and you just get up against them. And there, so there's that. And then it's like, let's say it's like, oh, what if the guy, you know, because obviously this is hypothetically a player who's never played basketball. And it's like, the, you know, someone shoots a three in his face. Well, naturally this guy who's never played basketball is like, okay, so this guy can shoot from there. I'm going to play up a little bit closer. And then that's it. Then you like, if he, then you could, be play defense if you're playing man-to-man defense there's not much more you need to know like i mean sure like there's help defense and whatnot but you know you could guard you know a man you know one-on-one um just from not even playing it's just because like if you have the athleticism and you um aren't getting faked out by crossovers and pump fakes then you should be perfectly uh competent on defense yeah so it's it's you know it's really frustrating and people like you know like to make a whole you know story and then now there's like the athletic analytics you know i mean i'm a big analytics guy but when it comes to defense you know it's not as complicated as you know people try to make it seem especially like these journalists who who don't actually play the game they have to you know you'll learn all the you know basically to you know, increase their reputation and their respect. They have to learn all the terms and whatnot because, you know, they weren't good enough to play basketball or athletic enough. So they have to, you know, be like, Oh, you know, cause like they're talking to like these reporters, they have to know like the, the plays. Um, cause otherwise they, you know, the players won't really, you know, take them that seriously. Um, so in that, you know, perspective, you know, I just, it's, it's bizarre. And, you know, but Wiggins, like people are like, oh, Wiggins has gotten so much better on defense. I'm looking at the advanced stats, like he's pretty much the same, pretty much the same. I haven't really like watched like film on him, but um, I don't know. I, I whatever. I mean, Andrew Wiggins, he is uh, the only thing I, I give him credit because he's shooting five threes and shooting forty percent. So shout out to him for that. Warriors um, are. Uh... <laughs> they they were hanging around like two days ago, but then I'm pretty sure did they lose to the, they got blown out by the 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 Jazz and I'm pretty sure lost to the Knicks too. Uh, recently, like they yeah. were the five seed like two days ago, but yeah, then they lost two in a row and it was to the Jazz and they got blown out by the Jazz and yeah and to the Knicks. So I don't know what the hell happened with that. How about the Jazz though? That I think the Wait, well, well, yeah go ahead. We, yeah. Warriors. What do you think Kelly Oubre's career three-point percentage is? 33%. People are under this impression that he's a good three-point yeah. shooter, but go ahead. Yeah, he's not. He's 32%. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. I was close. But I guess he's not. you'd say, well, he's playing with Steph and we get more open shots. But yeah, he was never like a good shooter. I don't, I don't understand where – yeah, I think he's he's shooting horribly. Last time I checked the season from three, but it's not like – where it's like Clay Thompson's having a horrible start to three from the season. And you just, okay, he's going to go two months where he shoots 60% from three. Then it's like, will Kelly Oubre f- 
shoot better the rest of the season? Probably. Will he probably end up around like 33 to 35%? Best case? Yeah, probably. Well, he might not be able to catch up at this point. There's no way he'd get to 35%. I just don't think he's a good enough shooter. Yeah. Like he's gotten, he he had one one year last year where he shot thirty five percent, which is a career high, which is basically average. Every every other season, he shoots thirty one, thirty two percent from three. I never watched him and thought he was like that good. He's like Kyle Kuzma, basically. He's just like a guy. Yeah. Like he's just yeah. a guy. He's just a random guy who's like decently athletic, who has decent size, who's like an average shooter, who thinks they're better on offense than they they actually are who if they are putting in the proper amount of effort on defense, they could be a good defender. Like that, that's it. That's it to me. They're just, that's it. That's all they are. And they probably think they should be like all stars. Yeah. They, they're, they're in that, that mindset. I wasn't going to say, uh, the Warriors, Kelly Oubre shooting percentage, uh, something that was something off topic. The jazz. That in my head. Oh yeah. The jazz, the jazz, jazz are, you know they're they're playing well. I think the 2021 uh, Jazz are what everyone was expecting from the 2020 Jazz. Because if you look at their right. team, their roster is good, man. It's good. No. Like it's like Conley, Donovan Mitchell, okay, Rudy Gobert anchoring the defense, and then you got Bogdanovich. He's a scorer. Joe Ingles. I always liked his game. Like they they have a team. They have guys. Jordan Clarkson is is like a spark plug scorer off the bench. You know, and, and Royce O'Neal bringing the three and D. So it's like if you look at their mm-hmm. roster, you're like, this works, this fits, this makes sense. And just last year, obviously Conley was pretty trash during the regular season. Last year, he came on more during the playoffs. So I don't wouldn't say it's a shock. Um, I, I think they're no. just good. Like I'm not predicting them to like fall back. You know, there's some teams who get hot start, and you're like, oh yeah, this is not going to last. I think I would say probably if if I uh, I, I could say. It's between the Nuggets and the Jazz to me for the third best team in the West. I know that I'm not yeah. going out on a huge limb here, but I think those two are going to fight it out. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that would be I a sick that, uh, playoff series. Like they would just be super evenly matched. Wait, didn't we just get that playoff series? Yeah, Kevin, are you paying attention? Yeah. Yes, we yeah, got great. it, and it was yeah. great. So I guess I'm technically right. Yeah, I feel like the Jazz have the better all around team, but the Nuggets have more superstar power. Yeah, or just star power. So it kind of like evens out. Like that's a good, good matchup. Um, ah, what the hell? I keep forgetting because we're we're just like jumping all over the place. Um, jazz. I mean, oh yeah. What'd you think of uh, Shaq's comments to Donovan Mitchell? The the game after he basically went off and won on national television, and Shaq basically said that he's not good enough. What what so what what was uh, Shaq's? Because I saw the video clip, but I didn't watch it because I'm like, this is just bad energy. Like I don't want to watch this. Uh, like it's, I just figured it'd be so awkward and cringy. Like I didn't even want to watch it. Like I, I saw the clip. I saw I know the story. I know what happened, but I was just like, I don't. I don't want to watch this and listen to Shaq be like, listen, like your teams are having like a good start of the season and you're a hell of a player. There's no doubt about it. But in terms of going to that superstar level, like I don't, I just don't see it right now. It's like, all right. That's exactly what you're Yeah. It's like, like, and it's so disrespectful because it's like literally he just puts on the headphone and off a, of a with like a big that. smile on like, Hey fellas, yeah. here I am. Where he, played, he played like so well. And Shaq's just like, listen, like I, I say, I, you know, I love your game, but I just don't think you're, you know, you have enough right now to be that guy. And then uh, <laughs> Tom Mitchell's just like, 
I <laughs> okay. Like, what is he supposed to say? Like, what what Shaq is hoping he says is like he qualifies himself to Shaq as like this great legend, and like Donovan's like, well, you know, Shaq, what I can do, I'll work really hard, Shaq, and you're gonna see that, you know, I'm gonna work really hard, and one day I'm gonna be just a really good superstar, and it's because you motivated me so hard. Like, that's what Shaq, I guess, is looking that's for. He's wanting this like validation that like the new generation like really values what Shaq has to say. And like, if I was in an industry and there's someone like Shaq who is uh, just objectively in terms of the industry, even though that's such a cringe way to refer it as oh, the industry of, of NBA basketball in that field of being a basketball player, Shaq is objectively one of the best basketball players of all time. I would value that guy's opinion if he's trying to help me, you know what I'm saying? Like if he's just being, he's not even giving Donovan Mitchell advice, right? Like he's not even saying like work on your X, Y, and Z. He's just like, I don't think you're good enough, which is like, okay, dude, like, do you, are, do you want to tell me what like I should work on? Or do you want to tell me like, Hey, when, when you're on the court and you do X, Y, and Z, you really should do ABC. You know, that's something to listen to, you know, like if, if Steve Nash is talking to Kyrie in practice and he's like, Hey, when you come off the pick and roll this way, and, and you're coming down the lane like this, look out for this pass at this angle. You'd figure, okay, a player's going to listen to that. If, if, if Steve Nash is like, Kyrie, I just don't think you're really ever going to be a good enough you know, passer. It's like, well, okay, whether you're right or whether you're wrong, like, what do you want me to say to that? I don't, I don't really know what to say. So it's just like, thanks for your opinion, I guess, but you're sort of just being a hater. And the, the, I, the difference in Shaq's position of being a hater and being like helpful is if he like was specific and be like, like, I don't think Donovan Mitchell would have just been like, okay, like just if, if Shaq had been like, man, like you're, you're a great player, you're you're an all-star, I, I hope you have an ma- amazing career, make a bunch of money, make all the all-star games. I think you got to, you know, just pick up your defense a little bit, you know, put it, just don't forget about the defensive end of the floor. You got this incredible offensive game. You're always going to have an incredible offensive game. Five years from now, you know, you're going to be scoring 27 points a game. We all know that. But if you want to take it to the next level, you and take the jazz to the next level, you have to just remember to commit yourself on defense. I don't, I wouldn't mm-hmm. take that as like hater, but what, what they no. do a lot of times is just being a hater. So you're just like being, and I don't know if it's like, I don't know how serious it is, right? Because, okay, we could criticize Shaq. That was pretty serious. Yeah, but he was serious. I, I think, I, the only thing I think is that do, do these guys look at themselves as, and I think I saw some comment to this effect, maybe like underneath this post or something like that, where it was like, and I, I don't, I watched inside the NBA and it's, it's entertaining, but like I'm, I'm not like locked into every single episode. I guess there could have been a recent episode where they were talking about how like a lot of the media just wants to be friends with like the players nowadays and how I guess Shaq and, and Chuck basically, cause it's mostly them to see themselves as like the guys who have got to keep these players honest and stuff like that. So if we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it could also just be like, are they just like trying to get ratings and content? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't know how genuine it is. I don't think they care about that. Yeah, you're right because they they're making a ton of ton of money anyway, and it's not like any of them and are going to get fired. Exactly. Like he didn't, even, Shaq didn't even know who Christian Wood was like ten games into the season, and it's like okay, like one if you don't know who he is, um, you know preseason, it's like all right, even with the trade, uh, the, the the signing, then once he starts bowling out for the Rockets when James Harden is on that team, and that they're like a big topic topic of conversation and you still don't know who he is when he's putting up 23 and 10. It's like, okay, like that's a bit, you know, it shows like where your head's at. Like you're not really, 
And it's like, you know, obviously they don't get paid really for their analysis. They get paid for more entertainment. Yeah. That's why I never and, take it that seriously. Like I don't, I'm just like, I, yeah. I want these guys to just crack jokes. Like I don't, I could not really care less about what they have to say about the actual basketball. Cause normally their takes suck. Like every year Ch- yeah. Chuck just says the trailblazers are going to win the finals. And it's like, I guess he just <laughs> likes Dame Willard, but I'm like, this is just dumb. Like this is not going to happen, but I don't know, whatever. If you, if you like the Dame Willard, I guess go ahead and say that. But, and yeah, I mean, I don't think they're like, they, they follow, they probably watch the games that they do, you know, on Thursday nights. And I think it's a Tuesday and Thursday now. I, I can never keep track. They make their judgments based off that. Yeah. Much. Or and they follow the, I mean, I have a hard time believing And maybe I'm completely wrong, but I have a hard time believing they're like, uh, you know, dedicatedly, if that's even a word, um, focused on watching league pass every night and on a random thursday night Shaq or chuck is like man i better i better dig in on the pistons let me watch this like pistons Cavs game to see how like jeremy grant's uh developing on the pistons you know it's really not right. obviously being on tv is extremely uh hard and like it's a a tough skill set to master that's why like people on tv get paid so much but like the actual analysis does not need to be like that high level like if they kick it to Kenny and they ask him about Jeremy Grant, which I don't know why they would ask him, maybe let's say a random Pistons national TV game, if they even have one this year on TNT, which they probably don't. Is it that hard to for 30 seconds, Kenny, to basically give a spiel about Jeremy Grant having like a good start to the season, even if he doesn't watch one second? Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's not that hard to fake it. Yeah. The skill 100%. comes with being like charismatic and entertaining on TV, on live television. So it's like, yeah, point being, they, they're not there for their analysis. They're there for entertainment. Um, but how entertaining is it to just like tell NBA players that they actually suck? I don't know. <laughs> it's not entertaining to me. Sometimes it is. It's kind of funny. But when they do it right to their face, you almost want to give them credit. But then you're just kind of like, well, you're kind of just being a dick at some point. Yeah, no, it was a bit aggressive for sure. Um we got 20 minutes left. I want to dive into the Yankees. Oh yeah, we do. We do have a. We do have a, a lot to. I'll let you start. Where, where's your head at with it? Because I, I have some thoughts. I have some takes. Well, I, I love the, Jameson, Talion trade because, this dude has upside to be on this team. All right. So basically, basically, I'll just like put it in perspective. On a bad team, he, he could be the number one guy. On a good team, he could be the number two. On a great team, he could be the, the number three. And, you know, he has, you know, just excellent stuff. And if he's healthy, you know, he has, you know, he, he could easily, he, he's going to be a huge, he could be on that Severino tier, you know, pr- when he was healthy, like where Severino was prior, like he could be in that number two tier where he's like, you know, good enough to be like your number one guy and like a good team, but like not, you know, you still would want like that, you know, Verlander, Cole, Scherzer, uh, type ace. And then you have like, yeah, DeGrom. And you have like, you know, your two, three guys, um, you know, behind you, you have like, you know, Severino and, you know, Talion. I think he has like awesome stuff. Um, he's cheap, high upside. And yeah, he's coming off two Tommy John surgeries, but you know, from what you get, you give up. Like, I think that's a great trade. Um, Kluber, did we talk? About, I don't think we talked. Did we talk any baseball? Uh, I think we talked about Kluber last week. I'm pretty sure. 
Okay. Because yeah, I mean, uh, I, I uh, well, but go ahead. I don't, I don't want to cut you off. I know you're still talking about it. No, I mean, I, I mean, that's like pretty much the gist of it. I mean, it's really interesting just because I think I kind of like their approach where they basically got a bunch of high upside, uh, high ceiling, high risk guys, and they're basically just going to roll out the guys who contribute and then just like cut who doesn't do well they're basically like just put in uh they're putting some bets in and they're like well one of these things got to hit right you know (laughs) that's pretty much what they're doing and i mean i kind of like it just because like the options are very limited there's not much you know they weren't like looking at the guys who you know were traded i mean they weren't going to be able to get snell um i mean the darvish i don't even know if they even made a phone call um, to to the Cubs for for Darvish, but they were probably asking a lot. Like, who knows? Um, I mean, I can't believe Darvish was even traded, but the Cubs just decided to you know let it rock. But I mean, I I really just don't believe Bauer is that like he's just he's really not that good. Um, he's not as great. He had a great year, sure, but he's really not. He's he's you know really a number two. He's number two, and you know he. Basically, if you're paying him thirty million dollars, he's an overpay. Um, you know, but it, I mean, it also depends if he's using pine tar or not. Like, if he's using pine tar, then okay, like I'll roll with it. But then, like, there's a huge risk if he just decides not to take pine pine tar now that he has the contract. Did you see that? Um, not to get off topic, but it's not really off topic. It's actually on topic for what you just said. Did you see that report? There was something with like the Angels or something where like Garrett Cole like texted some guy like I'm in a sticky situation here. I didn't like read too deep into it, but it was basically like someone I think with the Angels got in trouble for something to do with pine tar or some sort of substance on the baseballs for pitchers. And like they did some investigation and he had like a text from Garrett Cole where Garrett Cole was like basically texting him, like admitting like, Hey, I use this. Like, I'm not trying to get caught. Like I, it's, I could not possibly care less. And considering that they juice the balls and half the players are probably on steroids. Like I literally don't care at all. If the pitchers like do whatever they can to like increase their grip on the ball. And it seems like MLB doesn't really care either. So it's not like the end of the world or some big scandal. The batters, the batters prefer, the batters actually prefer the pitchers to use pine tar because they have more control. So it's not going at their head. Right. Right. Uh, so, um, but to your point, like I'm not calling for the Yankees to, um, <clears throat> to sign a Bauer either, because I don't, same with you. It's like, okay, if he pitches like he pitched last year, um, then great, but he doesn't have too much of a track record of pitching like that. And yeah, if it's pine tar dependent and what if he just decides to stop using pine tar? Uh, but like, why would he do that? You figure like if he's not going to get suspended by the MLB and it makes him like a Cy Young type pitcher, you'd hope that he would keep doing it, but whatever, it's a risk. But my issue comes down to um, this. So like you said, you hinted at it a little bit in the past, <clears throat> excuse me, in the past, what, six months, the following pitchers have been traded. Mike Clevenger, you Darvish, Blake Snell, literally all of them went to the Padres, which is kind of crazy to think about. Now, granted, uh, Mike Clevenger had to get Tommy John, but there's no way you can't trade for Mike Clevenger, say, oh, that's an awesome move, which it was for the Padres. He gets hurt and then say, oh, that was a bad trade, actually. It doesn't work like that. Um, So those three, plus Darvish, you mentioned Darvish, plus Carrasco went to the Mets, right? So that's five. That's five really good to like amazing pitchers, would you say, that got traded. And it seems like there's rumors that Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs is going to get traded maybe to the Blue Jays with Chris Bryant. So 
Yeah. Now we're working on five to six pitchers over the course of a six-month span who were all really good to amazing who got traded. And the Yankees, who are in need of pitching help, made a trade for a guy who's like had two Tommy John surgeries, number one, and is like has the potential to be really good. But when he's been healthy in his career, has basically been like pretty good. Like career three six seven ERA, like I'll sign up for that. If he if he has a three six seven ERA this season and makes like twenty five starts, I'll sign up for that yesterday. But I just think if you told me like, so this is where I come down with a lot of the Yankees moves. I think Cashman did a great job, and I think Hal Steinbrenner is a disgrace. That's where I come down on it because mm-hmm. he. I, I was actually thinking. I was like, literally had like an internal conversation with myself today, where I was like, if you. Basically, um, how uh, Brian Cashman is basically being being asked to go bargain. His hands, what well, his hands are tied. He's being asked to go bargain bin hunting at the thrift store, and he goes to the thrift store and he pulls out a Sunny Gray, and you're like, "Wow, you got Sunny Gray at the thrift store? That's a pretty good deal." Then he goes to the thrift store again and he pulls out James Paxson. You're like, "Damn, you got James Paxson at the thrift store? That's pretty good." And then, okay, same thing, James Talion. He gets James James Italian at the thrift store. Wow, that's a pretty good deal. But I just go back to, and and we could get caught up in like just analyzing the deals, right? Was it a good deal or a not deal? Based off the Yankees traded like no name prospects who I've never heard of, and based off the fact that, yeah, Tal- Italian, however the hell you pronounce it, seems to be by all accounts a pretty good pitcher, and the fact that he's making like two point five million dollars this year, I would give Brian Cashman for just the deal itself. That's like an A minus. Great work, dude. You didn't have to give up uh, any prospects for, and you got a pretty good pitcher in return when you needed started pitching help, right? So I'm like, good job, Cashman. But then if we zoom out a second, you just can't help but ask, why the hell are the Yankees shopping at the thrift store? Why are they dumpster diving for like bargain bin discount deals? And why do they have to watch the Padres? Let me repeat again. The Padres in the past, it might have been less than six months. When did they trade for Clevenger? Well, it was like right before the playoffs, right? What was that September? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, maybe, maybe four months ago. So in the past, like four months, five months, the Padres have traded for Blake Snell, you Darvish, and Mike Clevenger, and by all accounts, didn't have to give up like any of their major top prospects in any of those trades. And then the Mets trade for Carrasco, setting aside the fact that Francisco Lindor came in that trade, we don't e- don't even factor that in. They traded for Carrasco without giving up any of their major prospects. And then, you know, uh, Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs is probably going to get traded to the Blue Jays for, guess what? We're going to see all these tweets from, you know, Buster Olney and, and Jeff Passan and all these guys saying, oh, and that the, the Blue Jays gave up their 15th ranked prospect, their 87th ranked prospect, and a little eager to be named at a later date. And so I just, if we analyze all the deals in the vacuum, you can come away saying, good job, way to go. Yankees are really making good deals. But if you just analyze it from a macro perspective, the only reason that the Yankees traded for this guy is because he's only making $2.5 million next year. That's the only reason, period. Do you, tax, right? Yeah, to save it attack. They don't want to – 210 is the first uh, luxury tax bracket. 
I think there's three of them. I'm not going to, I don't have all the brackets memorized, but I know 210 is like the first number where if you go over 210, that's when you have to start paying luxury tax. I will also say that I think the punishment is like, I know there's like a repeater tax. If you're over it in multiple years, da, da, da. And it, I honestly think part of it is just to confuse the casual fan where you hear luxury tax and you think like, oh, if the Yankees go over $5 million over the luxury tax, that means that Hal Steinbrenner has to sell his kids into slavery. You know, like it's like you just hear luxury tax and you're like, oh, this punishment for the luxury tax must be so intense. Meanwhile, it's just like a percentage. Like if you if you go five million over the luxury tax, you have to pay like 20 percent of that five million extra, even though somebody's going to say, well, if it's a repeater tax, it's really 40 percent, you know, but it's like an extra X amount of millions. But it's just endlessly frustrating to just watch the Yankees do this, to be honest. So I would give their offseason grade, which it seems like the offseason basically over. Maybe they will. um I don't know. I saw some rumor that they're going to trade Ottavino to, to as basically a salary dump. Will they trade Ottavino and and replace him with some reliever we never heard of? I wouldn't be too mad at that. You know, Ottavino struggled last year, but I, I I'm not going to give this offseason more than a C plus. It's not no more than a C plus. How can anyone give it more than a C plus? Then when you when I when what I just said is true, the Yankees every year the Yankees don't need any offensive help. Okay. You can say, okay, they have guys who strike out too much, da 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 da, this, that, and the other thing. The Yankees' offense is not their problem. Oh, but in the playoffs, they don't score any runs. Okay, whatever. We get it. It happens. But what are they supposed to do? They're going to sign another right fielder to play over Judge or something? Like, who, who do you want them to sign? I guess if you wanted to say, well, I think they should have got Real Muto to replace Sanchez. Like, that's really the only thing you could say because what other spot? Like, are you advocating for them to sign a center fielder instead of Hicks? Are you advocating them to sign a DH instead of Stanton, a third baseman instead of Urshela, a first baseman instead of Voight, a second baseman instead of DJ, a shortstop instead of Torres? Like who what 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 hitters are you advocating for them to sign? Is my point. So their and their bullpen is pretty solid. Could it be a little stronger considering they've lost like in just the past few years, like Patansis, and they've lost David Robertson and they lost Canely and Adavino's not coming through like you'd had. So their bullpen is probably not what it was at its peak like last year and two years ago and three years ago, whatever, but it's still it's still good. They're just in need of starting pitching help. And when there's all these basically aces or borderline aces getting – basically they're at like garage sales getting sold for like 20 cents on the dollar and the Yankees are not jumping at that because of the luxury tax. Like it's just so frustrating to me. Like the Yankee, the objective truth is that the Yankees should have – you Darvish, Blake Snell, or Carrasco, or Kyle Hendricks, who's about to be traded, they should have traded for one of those guys. And I know people are going to listen to this and say, you're the greedy Yankee fan. If the Yankees offseason was, let's just make it random. So they re-signed DJ, they signed Kluber, which I was in favor of both those moves. I probably would have leaned towards trading for Lindor and and letting DJ go, but that's literally, as we can see, pie in the sky. They were never going to do that and sign Lindor to $28 million a year. Yeah, right. Never going to happen. So let's say they signed DJ, signed Kluber, and they, instead of uh, a trading for Talion, let's say they traded for Blake Snell, you know? I would have said, I would have said, great. You know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not asking for them to do that and also sign Trevor Bauer. Like, even with me saying the Yankees need to spend more money, the Yankees are worth a trillion dollars, the Yankees make a a truck ton of money every single year. Even I'm like, I'm not expecting them to have a $300 million payroll every year. Like I'm just asking them to do the best they can, can to win within reason. 
you know, and their version of within reason is basically like every year we need to get under the luxury. Like they never make power moves. I've talked about it a million times that trading for Mike Clevenger and Blake Snell and you Darvish is a power move after signing Manny Machado, uh, which I wouldn't even count Manny Machado as a power move because the Padres sucked a team that sucks. It, you basically can't make a power move if you suck as a team, unless your power move is like signing like five stud free agents, you know, but I would look at a team like the Mets who were, I know everyone likes to talk about the Mets. Oh, they're such a joke, blah, blah, blah. The Mets were like pretty good last year and they took their pretty good team and they signed a good catcher and they signed a really good pitcher and they signed an amazing shortstop. That's power move, right? The Mets had a power move off season. I thought they were going to sign Springer too, but now there's rumors that they might get Bauer. But regardless, I the Mets are a power move. Trading for Mookie Betts, power move. The Yankees just don't make power moves. It's just pathetic and annoying. People will say, oh, Garrett Cole, oh, DJ. Resigning your best player is not a power move. That's called the bare minimum. And like I said before, resigning the best starting pitcher on the market when starting pitcher is a desperate need is not a power move. That's literally called doing the bare minimum that you should be doing as the Yankees organization. So whatever. You know, it is what it is. The Yankees are probably going to make the World Series, I would say. They're the heavy favorites in the AL to make the World Series. I don't see a scenario on well, who, who would you say the Blue Jays are, are looking? If the Blue Jays trade for Chris Bryant and Kyle Hendricks, they're going to be a damn good team. Well, I mean, I think uh, I would give their offseason an F. Wow, I like it. I thought I was being a hardo because really, my true grade, I was vacillating between C and C plus, and I was like leaning C. But then I was thinking like people are going to be like, "Come on, dude, what the fuck?" Like C, but DJ's back, so my true grade is really like a C. But I'm glad to see that you're even harsher than I am. Like they weren't good enough last year with DJ. No, and- like they, if they made the World Series, they would have got curb stomped by the Dodgers. Like, so great. I, yeah. I, it was a disappointment not to make it to the World Series, but the Dodgers were better than them the entire year. Like, clearly better than them. So, whatever. The differential. The run, run differential, differential was, wasn't even close. Oh wasn't even close. Godly. Well, the best, like, historic, I'm sure. Like, I don't know. What yeah, the, they had, like, the a short season, but probably per game. Yeah, like, if you extrapolate it out over – I think the Dodgers, for, like, a large chunk of last season, were on pace to, like, set the wins record of, like, what is it, the Mariners, for, when they won, like, 114 or 116 or something like that? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but I mean, I just, it was just like this offseason, you had one goal was to get a number two starter to beef up your rotation. Like that was just the clear, um, you know, uh, laggard of this team that, you know, to make that next push to get into that next tier of on that Dodgers Padres tier. Now, now Padres, um, you needed a better rotation and they just failed to do that. Like, sure. I mean, too reliant on Severino coming back from injury and returning to all-star form. Like you really don't know. I mean, I'm sure like maybe he could be, he could be better. He could, you know, absolutely. But then like the number three guy, it's like, who is it? Is it Cooper? Is it Jermaine? Is it Talion? Is it? Uh, Clark Schmidt Debbie is Garcia. Debbie Garcia. Um, I mean, I just don't. I, I, I'm just not. I just. I think they just did a, a poor job of just not. They just weren't aggressive enough. And yeah, I mean, you know, to to Cashman's credit, he he just his hands were tied, and you know, he did what he had to do. His job was to you stay know, under two ten. 
So, like, Stay if, if, the if, if we're, if we're evaluating Cashman's offseason based off making the team as good as he can make it while staying under 210, he, it's probably like a B plus or an A minus. Like, I, I, I never, I that's why I'm always like, I think your casual fan just doesn't, Cashman is obviously such more of a public figure than Hal, right? Probably half of your uh, Yankees fan don't even know what Hal Steinbrenner looks like. And probably 25% of them couldn't even tell you who the owner is. They'll be like, oh, George Steinbrenner's son. Like, which one? I can't remember. So it's just when the Yankees, you know, make a move and it doesn't work out or when the Yankees fall short or something like that, it's way easier for the fans to just say Cashman this, Cashman that. And he's not perfect. Obviously, he's not perfect. But I think that as best as I can tell, and we're, we don't know for sure. But I mean, it seems obvious that he had a mandate to stay under the tax this offseason. That seems basically as clear as day. So I, my impression of him is that he does a really good job based on the the artificial confines that he's put in. So it's like, yeah, he, Cashman did a B plus or an A minus, and the fact of the matter is, the offseason was still crap. I don't I don't know how anyone can argue against that. And another point, like you're saying, okay, who's going to be the three starter? Who's going to be this Severino? Will he come back strong? There is a scenario where this all works out great, right? Let's say the offense is great. And the guys are mostly healthy and every, everyone on the team basically has like a pretty good year by their standards or a really good year offensively. Okay. Let's say that Britain is Britain. Chapman is Chapman. Chad Green is Chad Green. And, and Ottavino has a bit of a bounce back year. You would say everyone on earth would say that's a good bullpen, right? And then let's say that, uh, Cole is Cole. We all expect that. And then let's say, uh, three out of the four of Severino, Kluber, Talion, and and uh, Devi. Three of those four, by the time the postseason rolls around, are having a pretty good to a really good season, right? So now you have four pitchers who are having a pretty good to a really good season. And if you wanted to change your mind in for Garcia, or you want to add them together and say three out of the five of them, sure, go ahead. Is there a scenario where that happens? Of course. There's no doubt about it that that could happen. This team could win 97, 98 games. They could even win 100 games. If everything clicks, no doubt about it. And they could even... I wouldn't give them a great chance right now, but there's a chance they could win the World Series. Maybe the Dodgers make it to the World Series. And I mean, maybe I'm saying the Padres make it to the World Series. There's injuries. Injuries could always happen. You could make it to the World Series and you Darvish blows out his elbow in game one. You know what I'm saying? So things could happen, but even it doesn't make it optimal. Like the process is not optimal. It's so cliche to be like process over results, process over results. But I'm, I'm not telling you for a fact that the result of this season is going to be a disappointment. But what I'm telling you is that the process was not optimal, not even close. It's not even close. So everything could work out perfectly. I hope it does. I'm going to be rooting for all the players on the team. I'm going to be rooting for James Italian to be a freaking Cy Young pitcher. I'm going to be rooting for Corey Kluber to be 2018 Corey Kluber. I'm going to be rooting for all this stuff to come off perfectly and work. I'm going to be rooting hard for that. But that doesn't, and because then idiots will not, not like we have like, you know, people in our mentions who are like at, at four, minute 42, 36, you said on your podcast, but people in general will, if you go on a rant talking about how much of an off disappointment the off season will, then when the Yankees win the world series, they'll come back like, Oh, did you see? Did you they'll look, they won the world series. Turns out you were wrong. I'm not saying they have no chance to win the world series. I'm saying they are not maximizing their chances. And that's literally, it's not even like arguable. Like I have plenty of opinions and things like that where it's like, well, I could be wrong. I could be right. I could see the other side. There is nobody on planet earth who could possibly convince me that what the the way the Yankees operate is 
and I'm see, I'm not even so maximizing like winning the World Series would basically be signing Trevor Bauer, signing George Springer, you know, going crazy. That's why I say within reason. So I'm not asking them to maximize their winning percentage or their chance to win the World Series, right? Because that would mean signing the best player at every position in baseball. I'm just asking them to change the ratio from what seems to be like 70% profit driven and let's make as much revenue and let's make as much profit and let's keep expenses down and let's keep salary at a reasonable level. 30, that seems to be 70% of the priority and winning is like 30%. It's like a nice bonus. I'm just asking you to even like get it somewhat close to 50-50, please. Because a team that is has 50-50 profit priority and winning the World Series priority is someone like the Dodgers. Did So did the Dodgers not make a shit ton of money? Well, okay, coronavirus kind of throws it for a loop, right? But if if we had um if we had fans in the stands last year, would the Dodgers have not made a, a boatload of money? even though they signed uh, uh, Mookie Betts and, and paid him a huge deal and they're paying Kershaw a huge deal and they're going to pay Bellinger a huge deal if he's not already on a huge deal. I don't know their whole payroll. And Justin Turner, I bet, is making a bunch of money and Corey Seager is going to make a bunch of money. So it's like the Dodgers, are make, you can make a bunch of money while also really giving it your all in terms of like, we're going to win. We're not going to spend like a drunken sailor, as they say, but we're, we're going to really put our best foot forward in terms of trying to win the world series. And they just don't. And it's so fucking annoying to, to root for it, to be honest. Like it's, it's just so pathetic. Like how could you own the Yankees and not like make power moves? Like it, it, it's such an awesome thing, a position to be in. And, and it's just like, he, he's just such a dork and he just wants to make as much money as possible. I don't know what his fucking deal is, to be honest. It's like my mission in, uh, in, in sports fandom to get to a point where it, it's like common knowledge amongst Yankees fans that like Hal Steinbrenner fucking sucks. Because even like people like the Barstool Yankee guys, they don't even really talk about it that much. And it's like, no, they, Eric Hunt yeah, they, they don't, like, they don't talk about Tommy smokes. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not like a hater of either of them, but I just, all these Yankees content that I see online, which is like from them or maybe some, some, from some other people, there's like other writers that I follow. I just feel like they don't hammer, some of them do, but they don't have necessarily as big a profiles as other people. There's nobody with like a huge profile who's really just putting the screws to hell which is what he deserves because like we talked about before, they haven't won the world. They're they're probably not going to win the world series this year. And that's going to be 12 years. Like how long does he have to go without winning the world series until like some segment of the fan base, 25, 30, 40% starts saying who the hell owns this team? And like, why aren't they making power moves? That's that's my rant. And it just bothers me because I'm like, there is a scenario. There is a happy medium. Like I said, quote unquote, happy medium, quote unquote, within reason where the Yankees act more like the Dodgers, where they, they make power moves when necessary. If the Yankees had a crappy team, I'm not going to be advocating for them to like go all in or something and have and have a $300 million payroll. It's just when you have this window with a really good team, can you just make like a couple power moves to like push them over the limit to win one World Series? Can we just get one? I don't, it's just so annoying. It's, it's it's We're getting closer and closer to just at wasted opportunity and completely wasted potential with these like really good players. And, you know, obviously it comes down to the players and in the, a lot of them have underachieved and a lot of them have gotten to the postseason and underachieved, but I just feel like they deserve better from the organization to be quite honest. So whatever. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much, uh, 
nail their thing on the head. <laughs> I there. mean, these these thoughts circle through my brain constantly, over and over again, because it's like every off season is like deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra would say. How do you like that? Just flowing off the brain. A Yogi Berra quote, talking about the Yankees, fits perfectly. It's deja vu all over again. Because it's just the same yeah. shit every offseason. They make a nice move, a couple of decent moves on the margin, but they don't make that power move that you want them to make. And then all, some fans don't even know what the hell the luxury tax is, or they think it's the worst thing that ever existed. So they, they're not going to criticize them for not spending enough. And then you have some fans who are like, you're so greedy. You just want them to sign an all-star team. It's like some, some people are so dumb. I can't handle it. Yeah, rest in peace, Yogi Berra. Yeah, see, we we got ten rings. When did he get ten rings? I bet the, that was probably before George. That was definitely before George Steinbrenner owned the team. But whoever owned the team was spending. Okay, I bet you that they were they were they were giving Yogi Berra big contracts and Joe DiMaggio and all those guys. Come on, come on, guys. Because this could be like a nice. I wouldn't say a golden era for the Yankees, but this could, this era of the Yankees should really go down in like history as like remember that was like a nice era where they got. All I'm asking is for one or two World Series. That's all. That's all you that's need. All, and I wouldn't even care. Every 10 it's years. It's gravy at that point. If you give me one World Series every 10 years, I'm totally cool with that. I'm totally if, – if they only get one World Series out of this group of guys, I literally won't even care. Just one, right? And if and if that's what happens and, and they have four other flameouts in the postseason where they never get it done, and will you probably look back and say, you know what? That team probably should have won. Those group of guys probably were good enough to win two World Series. But then you could just go back and say, well, it's ownership's fault that they didn't win two. But if they were getting dangerously closer and closer to them just winning zero World Series. And I just, I like these group of players a lot. So I just want to see them win. Come on. Yeah, to sum it up, I mean, everyone's in their prime. Like, they're going to have to pay Judge soon, Torres. Like, all these guys are going to have to start paying because they're on, like, the rookie deal. So, you know, time's running out. Like, these guys are. Um, you know, you're going to have to pay up for these guys and then you're going to be paying them when they're, uh, well, maybe you don't even pay them just because they'll be older and you kind of don't want to, who knows what Steinbrenner is doing, but like now it's the perfect time to just go, not necessarily all in and, you know, jeopardize your future signing Trevor Bauer for seven years. Neither of us want them to do uh, that. So that's why we're being within reason. Four years, though, would be interesting. Um, apparently, he is uh He's asking for a like shorter to, deal, right? Because I guess that's all yeah. he – he's probably just thinks like, I'll just maximize my AAV, average annual value. And he's just like – he's, I guess, trying to do the KD LeBron where he's like, whatever. I feel yeah. like I can – if I just get $30 million this year and $25 million next year that – and if I don't get hurt, it's kind of a risk, but whatever. It's like a calculated risk. Like That would be interesting because I would actually – two reasons I would much rather him on like a two or three year deal. One, because he would be more motivated to continue using pine tar and keep up his, um, you know, you know, just sticking it to the man and just being elite instead of being content that he got the contract. Now he could just like, cause you know, he thinks he's like also amazing without the pine oh, yeah. tar. He definitely has that personality where he's like, yeah, well, the pine tar makes me better, but I'm still like a shy young winner without it. And then when he gets yeah. a big contract, then he could, he could use that instead of, uh, uh, giving him a shorter contract where he feels the need to prove it, to get a long-term contract from a team. If you give him a long-term mm-hmm. contract, he might use that long-term contract to prove that he can be as good without pine tar as he could like you know what i'm saying he could be like he'll exactly. use it to be like i was always that good it's like no dude just keep keep cheating please god just keep cheating exactly. and i think he's like one of those guys who just like 
who really doesn't like care that much. He kind of just like does his own thing and it's like kind of rebellious. And he just, you know, just next season, he just, he just might never use pine tar ever again. And it'll just be like back to like a number two, three guy who's like pretty good. excellent. How about, was that on the reds or the Indians? I think it was on the reds or was it the Indians? I can't remember when his manager came out to uh, take the ball and he just launched the ball into like center field. Oh my God. That was hilarious. I don't think that's ever happened in like MLB history. It's no, he's, so he's... like out, just out of control and totally disrespectful. But I kind of, it's kind of endearing in a weird way because he's just so like, he almost is a, I don't know if he, he has like social, social weirdness or something, but that's like such a, it's not like a, it's not like he threw the ball at his manager, right? Then you would be like, okay, this dude is like, uh, like a serious problem. Like what the hell is wrong with you? It's just such like, there's something weird about like an adult basically throwing a temper tantrum and then immediately being like, whoops, my bad, where you could be like, I almost feel bad for you. You're kind of like, it's kind of like when your dog, like, like just craps on the kitchen floor and you're kind of like, well, what the hell is that about? But then you're like, well, maybe you didn't mean it and you kind of feel bad, but I don't know. It's just something about Trevor Bauer. Like, he, he does have an endearing quality to him, even if he is like a bit of a shithead. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. It depends. Like I, what his contract's going to be, but four years, you know, it's definitely more intriguing. Anything over that, ugh, no thanks. But running out of time here, uh, we got to wrap it up. Um, Bill, uh, the Chiefs versus the um, the uh, Bucks, the Buck yeah. Super Bowl, new generation versus old generation face of the NFL, blah, blah, blah. Tom Brady versus Mahomes. Exciting. So well, that's probably what, two weeks? Isn't there like a break yeah, between? It's, the it's two weeks. What's today? Yeah, today's Sunday, of course. Yeah, it should be two weeks from now. Okay, yeah. So we'll get to that maybe next week or whatever. But yeah, um, wrapping it up for today. Uh, you know, have a good uh, good day <laughs> if you're listening in the morning. <laughs> Enjoy your work. <laughs> Have fun. Hit those books hard, kiddos. Yeah, open that Excel sheet and uh, do your formulas. Um, Yeah, so we will uh, catch you guys next week. Peace.